Hey everyone, welcome back to the Enduring Churches podcast. I'm Trent, I'm here with Alan, and uh, we do what we do to help ministry leaders succeed and their churches to endure. And we want you to endure in ministry as well. And so, Alan, I, you know, we're both old guys and um, getting older all the time. I was, <laughs> I thought I was, I was visiting with one of my pastors yesterday and i thought surely he's older than me and no i'm like four or five years older than him and so i was kind of depressed after that and you know so i i, I look through the things that i wear and all that and and i'm i'm just old and i but hey i'm i'm encouraged because there's all that old stuff is becoming new again right yeah there is i mean uh, you know i was uh listening to some pandora the other day and uh i have my 80s music in there and there's an 80s rock band that's got a new album coming out and they've released their first song and i'm not going to mention that group because uh like i told trent earlier i'm like um great singable song questionable lyrics so i don't want you to know what questionable things i was listening to this week but yes yeah, I, I saw a picture of them and i'm thinking man this is like your grandpa you know, being in a rock band here, but, uh, but anyway, here they are, you know, brand new album in 2022, some, <laughs> some 40 years later after, after their debut album. So, you know, I guess if they're still rocking, we can still rock it here on the Enduring Churches podcast. So we want to talk to you today about some old things made new, because I think there's a, you know, you know, you never know what that fine line is between what was irrelevant and what wasn't, um, what was actually relevant, but needed to be maybe repackaged or redone or reconsidered or, or something like that. And so we just want to talk about some things that maybe are finding a new, a new voice in a new day here. So um, we're going to talk about um, five things today for sure. We we may come up with another one on the fly. You never know because when you've got minds like this working, you never know where it's going to go. Well, and I'm pretty sure those are not steel traps. It's, it's a rusty <laughs> trap, but yeah. And so there's there's all kinds of things, you know. And as we talk about these things that we have listed today, um, you know, I know that a lot of times, Alan, we talk about that their need there are times when we need to get rid of something maybe in the, that's lived past its shelf life, right? The used by date that you see on your loaf of bread or your milk or whatever. Um, but this is a case where maybe some of those things were very useful in the past. They did get shelved and now they're making a resurgence. Um, and, and, I think this, there's a, a good thing for those. The very first thing that you have on the list for us today, Alan, is, is um, some simple discipleship programs. And one of the examples you have is the, the Bible drill. And I was just visiting with someone about Bible drill this past week and, and how we miss that, that our kids don't know how to find things in Scripture. Yeah, I think, you know, I was watching in, in my association, again, if you if you don't come from a Southern Baptist background, I know many denominations used to have a program called Bible Drill or Sword Drill. It was actually multi-denominational, and um, it still exists um, from Lifeway Resources, a curriculum-based approach um, to that. And I've seen some churches desiring to pick that back up again. It's something that I grew up on when I was a kid in church. 
and it was of great value. But I think what happened over time is, is that the idea of Bible drill and just really delving that much into scripture memory, it just seemed too simple. Well, kids need more. They need more story time and they need more recreation time and they need more, more this and more that. And all of a sudden, really complicated programs that require a lot, a lot more work. And I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying times have changed again. And that I think that people are looking for something that's maybe a little bit more simple and a little more direct. They don't want a complicated program. And so the idea behind Bible drill really was always a very simple one. Teach a few passages of scripture and teach them completely and put them in your heart. And I think yeah. that there, besides it being good for us to learn the Bible, I think there's also that benefit of it really is rather simple. And it doesn't have to be overcomplicated. People don't have time for complicated today. They, they need simple. Look at it when when it comes to meals. You know, you can, you can buy your meal kit and have it shipped to you every week, so you don't have to go to the store and think, okay, I need one onion and three of these, and you know, it's just simple's good. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think one of the reasons that this. Uh, this example of Bible drill went by the wayside, and I think it's sad is that we got away from the idea that of competition, and was like sure because everywhere in society competition was being pushed out, pushed out, pushed out. When in actuality, the competition part of Bible drill was a big reason why it was so successful, and kids got into it. Now, when you take that competition out of it, the kids are not nearly as interested, and so uh, I think that's a big part of it. I think that's a really something if you're going to sell a program like that, build up the competition. That's what drew me to it. I'm a, I'm a highly competitive person and it, it drew it to me. And I realized in doing it that the big number one competition was with myself, but it was an important part of what drew me to it. It was a chance to go to church and win. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I got news for you. You don't like winning. You, you don't like what the Bible talks about because the Bible talks often about winning. So uh, mm-hmm. anyway, I won't well, yeah. go too far in that road. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so I'm just thinking about other things. Uh, I know that you and I, uh, we were a part of a, we did what we call CWT um, while we were in college and, and things going. We spent a lot of time being discipled and, and being able to share our faith and then going out um, while we were in college. And we had a, a amazing college minister, Dave Ratton, that helped us do some of that stuff. And, and uh, I, th- I think programs like that, I hope that they make a comeback. I don't know if they will, but I hope that they do. Yeah, I think evangelism, in fact, Trent, I almost wrote down evangelism in our notes, evangelism program, simple evangelism programming. I think there's a recognition, just like with Bible drill, we never replace the scripture memory and scripture knowledge with anything else. We never really replaced the evangelism explosion, CWT approach of evangelism with anything else. Not effectively. I mean, there have certainly been attempts. You know, the three circles is really popular right now. I think it's a very effective tool, a highly effective tool. And it's really about telling a story. I like that part about it. Um, But I see more and more churches saying, can you teach us about evangelism? And can you can you show us in a very simple simple way so i think you're right trent i think there's something i think there's something to it i'm not exactly sure where it's going that's why i didn't put it in there but i think 
Right. I, I think you're right. I think evangelism is another way we can see it. There's another one coming up that I put in its own category, and we'll we'll talk about it later. That I think it would be somewhat somewhat related to that. Let's talk about the second one: um, smaller auditoriums and bigger fellowship areas. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if big fellowship areas were were um, thought of in the same way, but I remember you know my church that was built in the '50s growing up. There was the auditorium on the main level and the fellowship area on the main level was every bit as big as the auditorium. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, I think that people want that, that space to be able to gather. That's why having a nice big foyer in a, for if you're building a new sanctuary, a big foyer is a big deal. I mean, that sounds crazy, right? But it, it is, it's an important area. It's not a wasted space. Uh, because people do want that space to be able to visit with each other, encourage each other. Um, and I will tell you that some of our smaller churches, they're adding on um, fellowship space that they didn't have in the past. And so I, I think that's a good investment and that it'll be multi-purpose. You know, most of those places will be multi-purpose areas that you can do a lot of different things in. Yeah. I've even seen larger churches that that use that, um, their foyer area as their fellowship hall area, as a reception area. Sometimes people choose to do their weddings in it because maybe it's got a lot of glass windows and it's really bright and warm. And so you'll see people choose to use that instead of the auditorium for weddings. It's a place you can host a birthday party. It's it, um, have some community get meetings or gatherings. And there's a lot more emphasis now on the gathering area as opposed to the auditorium itself. And the reason people are going for smaller is, again, a, bill, a room you use one to two times a week doesn't have a ton of, of value, at least from, from a financial standpoint. It's expensive to build those big rooms like that. And so if we can have two services and a larger fellowship area, well, that makes sense. And so I think you're seeing... Um, you're going to, and I think you're going to continue to see that. I think that is a huge deal. I was talking with a church not long ago, their pastor, his entire church sits in the back half of the, our auditorium. Their auditorium is probably four times bigger than their attendance is right now. Hmm. And um, I was talking with him. I said, have you guys ever thought about blocking off some of the back half of your auditorium and turning that into a gathering area? And that would force people, one, to be closer closer in it'd feel more homey but it also would make it guest friendly because they really have no way of making a guest guest feel welcome you're you're walking in and practically walking into the either a bathroom or the auditorium and i think it would really improve improve their situation if they did something like that well and that i mean for a church to feel like family and for for discipleship really to have happen effectively i think you have to move from rows to circles and, you know, when everything in the sanctuary is set up on rows, um, you're not going to gain a whole lot of fellowship in that setting and, um, and that sense of family. And so you've got to move from have a place where you can move from rows to circles and, and, and those, auto, those places where you can have that um, fellowship area that, that can happen there. Man, I'm really glad you said that one, Trent, because you're talking about that. And I'm just thinking, you know, we go to... Um, a gathering, a banquet, a church banquet or something, we worship from the tables, we eat at the tables, we listen to a message from the tables. 
but then we're convinced that the only way to do church is in those rows like that. Just, yeah. I'm just throwing it out there. I'm not going to answer, yeah. uh, send, send any, any negative comments to Trent, uh, but um, anyway, uh, just something, really, just something I was thinking about there. <laughs> no, but I, I mean, I would agree with you, Alan. I think that's a super important thing. And, and we, we've got to, give people that opportunity to spend that time in those circles to visit. And that's where life on life happens. It doesn't happen in the rows in the sanctuary. Well, Trent, I have a great grandfather that was a circuit riding preacher. There was even a song I learned when I was a kid, the circuit riding preacher used to ride across the land um, with a rifle in his saddle and a Bible in his hand. And uh, anyhow, I think there's a, a sense in which the circuit riding preacher, maybe the circuit driving preacher now, but mm -hmm. is uh, is making a comeback. So, um, Trent, I know you and I have talked about this. Tell tell people what we what we mean by that. Well, I, I think that in in our day and time, that's you know a pastor who has multiple churches um, has you know. It's hard for a, a church, especially a small church, to be able to afford a, a pastor. And I was visiting with a uh, Methodist pastor just the other day at a community service in one of our towns. And he does that. He has multiple churches that he um, ministers to. And, um, you know, so that's that's reality in some of our, our towns, especially areas where you've got smaller churches. And at the very least, you're going to have bivocational if not multivocational pastors. And sometimes that having that pastor that ministers to multiple areas is going to be the answer. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, it's just a trend we're going to continue to see unfold. You know, I'm finding that where I'm at right now, um, again, we have some churches that are, you know, 100, 150 years old or, or whatever around here. So for some of those churches that have such a, a proud history, I think it's really hard to come to grips that they might need to share a pastor with someone. But I really think if they could go back and look 150 years ago, they probably did. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it, it really might be the, it might be the birthing of the next great movement of God in that church because they can actually get someone who is a little more dedicated. You know, a, a co-vocational pastor has, a, has a lot of time constraints, but again, if you're sharing a pastor, he's not working as many sermons. He's, he's, covering multiple bodies of Christ, he's, he's able to do a little bit more. And I think there's a real blessing in that and, a, and something that can be really helpful to some of the churches. So I think it's just a trend. I think we'll see more of these situations arise. I think they'll be pretty strategic and pretty intentional. I don't think they'll be forced together. I think it'll be more of a church is saying, we don't know any other way to do this. We can't find anyone apart from sharing someone. Right. Well, and, and we've seen an example of this. It's kind of different where we've had churches that have had sending out video to multi, multiple campuses. Um, and so that's kind of a version of that. But um, in the smaller settings, yeah, because we have fewer people in seminaries and Bible schools, I think this is going to be more and more a need as well. I think so. So it's something to be aware of. You know, if you're a small church, I, I want to encourage you as well. Think about the possibilities. Don't don't think of it as a negative. I actually think that this move could be a, a huge positive in a lot of our churches. So 
it's something I think worth considering and something worth looking at. The next one would be similarly related, but maybe more of a of a of a city or or suburban city city type situation. But that's the importance of the neighborhood. Yeah. So, Alan, you, I saw this on the list, and and so I want you to tell me what you're thinking here. The the neighborhood where people live, or or what what do you see as the importance here? Yeah. I mean, you and I grew up with Mister Rogers, right? I mean, I. I, I was never a huge Mr. Rogers neighborhood fan, but I knew who he was. You know, I knew, mm -hmm. I knew the sweater and the shoes and, and his make-believe world and all that. And I grew up in a neighborhood that had a neighborhood church. But then the church growth movement um, kind of began to take over and the rise of the mega churches came. And a lot of our neighborhood church, churches in my city of, of almost 200,000 people um, began to go through a change and the neighborhood church shrank and many of them disappeared. But I think that now we're seeing the neighborhood church um, kind of come back to life, that people don't want to travel far from home. COVID played a role in that. But I also think the idea that you can know the people in your church and that you can have meaningful relationships in the church, I think that plays a role in it. So I find people wanting to go to a church that's closer to them um, and I see that that's important and they want, they want it to feel like it, it represents their neighborhood. It looks like their neighborhood. If you're, if your neighborhood is multi-ethnic, the church, the church should be multi-ethnic. If, uh, you know, if it's, if it's the blue collar area, your church is going to probably reflect that blue collar neighborhood. If it's white collar, it's going to reflect that white collar neighborhood. It's, it's going to reflect the neighborhood in which it is. And I, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, and you can see some of this happening. You mentioned that a lot of that had to do with COVID. And I will tell you that uh, right now, if you look at the housing market, um, it's crazy uh, because people are moving from some of those areas of high population density uh, to trying to get away, get some spread to them. And so some of that is moving to those neighborhoods that are in smaller towns um, rural areas, um, and they do want to have a little more, it's, it's a lot about control. And so having that controlling and some space, we got used to social distancing, uh, standing in lines, and now we're kind of wanting to have that space. But uh, you're right, being able then to find that group of people that you can worship with. And, and I think sometimes people are okay not having all the uh, events that they were used to maybe in a mega church, but they they have that relationship that they didn't have when they were in that mega church. Yeah, relationships relationships really I think are provide the tipping point. And when we talk about COVID, really COVID didn't change anything. It just it just made everything move faster. Things that were already happening mm -hmm. just kind of sped up through that process. You know, I think about a church here in, in my area that is, is a church in a, in a part of town that's always kind of had a bad reputation. Um, and they have actually bought houses um, in their neighborhood, remodeled those houses and sold those houses um, basically at a break-even point um, for what they have in them to provide good housing, good quality housing um, for, for people in their neighborhood to, to help build the reputation of that neighborhood as a place where people want to live and not a place where people had to live. And I, I love that. I mean, I love that a church is thinking about its community that way. And so 
so you're seeing that you're seeing churches um invest in the small businesses around eh? the staff going and eating at the local restaurant instead of going down to the to the big chain in the square or whatever it was so i think you're just seeing the importance of that neighborhood not only for the church but for the church life taking place in the neighborhood as a whole well and you also see that in the when churches are providing those play spaces for kids and for families together um, and those, as you mentioned, the homes and stuff, sometimes uh, those, those neighborhood churches may be house churches uh, and it may not be a traditional building as we were talking about before. It may be more of a house church with a big yard for the kids to play in and the adults get together and do Bible study together. But there's, there's a lot of options that we'll, we'll probably see um, you know, we, we used to talk about the, the horrors of urban sprawl and suburban sprawl, you know, and, and I think we're, we're going to see that more so now. There was a draw for a while back into the city centers. I'm not sure we'll see that continue near as much because the malls are going away. Um, there will be some churches that use those, some of those mall spaces. Um, but yeah, it's going to be, it'll, it'll look different. I think so. So, Trent, we've talked about four of them so far, the simple programs for simple discipleship, smaller auditoriums, bigger fellowship areas, circuit riding preachers, uh, the importance of the neighborhood. The, the, the other one, Trent, that we wanted to talk about today, and this is the encouragement. We, we sometimes give prayer meetings a hard time when we're talking about them on our podcast because of how people have responded to them. But one of the most encouraging things that I'm really seeing is this renewed desire to have impactful prayer gatherings. And I'm seeing this in several churches that are just gathering to pray and pray for their communities and do more than just pray for, you know, Aunt Betsy's bursitis. And so um, I love it. I, I'm excited. I'm excited to see that. What, what are your thoughts on on the importance of these new prayer gatherings? Well, I, I'm, I'm like you. I'm like, praise God. You know, finally, we're coming back to the one that we're supposed to be spending time with. Churches for a long time have called some a service a prayer meeting when they had a cursory prayer at the beginning and the end, you know, the total five minutes together. Uh, there was no prayer meeting in that. And so it, now this looks, this is great, you know, seeking God for, and where he wants us to be, what he wants us to be about. I think that's wonderful. I'm excited about this. Uh, yeah, I, I've noticed that there's some dynamic churches that are just really going all in on prayer. And, um, you know, Trent, we're going to be doing an episode on on trust. And I think the ability to trust your leader and follow him in a pattern of prayer is is huge. I think it's mm -hmm. happening where people really know and trust and respect their leader. And they're following his his humble call to prayer. But it's also not a, just a humble call. It's a strong call to prayer. And mm -hmm. I think people are praying for their communities. They're praying for the lost. They're praying for needs. They're praying for the runaways and the prodigals. And they are praying for health issues and God's doing miracles. I think it's exciting. It's exciting to know that when, when w the church was identified as a place where prayer, it should be known as a house of prayer. It's exciting to see what happens in a church when it truly becomes a house of prayer. Oh, yeah, it is exciting. And I'm glad you used that word because uh, when we rely on God's power and we seek him, it, it's amazing because he 
Scripture says he can do abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. We want to be tapped into his, his direction, his power, his guidance. And it's so good when, when we just, sometimes we get, quit planning as much and start praying more. Yeah, no, but confessions, confessions of a pastor here, I, I really should have put more emphasis on this in my ministry. Mm-hmm. I just yeah. I just really should have. I, I think I took that attitude. If I do it, no one will come. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I should have done that. Just a little, little bit of a regret in some of my areas there. But um, today's a new day, and what we do with it ma- matters. And I would encourage you, you know, check out. Check out what churches are doing with prayer meetings. Uh, you know, don't make it just the thing, time where people pray for the sick. Put some ground rules in there on there of, of what it's going to look like, and and don't let it get derailed. Don't let one person derail it. We all know the person too who who turns a prayer request into their own counseling session. You you've got to develop the skills to deal with those situations. Thank people and move on if you're going to have prayer requests. Make sure people have an outline of how to pray. So many people, you know, just like the disciples, teach me how to pray. I don't know how. So make it available. Teach people to pray. But but prayer is our best friend. Yeah, I would agree. And I'm really encouraged that I see a lot of college students spending time in prayer and putting together amazing prayer times on their campuses, praying for their campus. It's amazing. Yeah, they see the need. <laughs> they, mm-hmm. I mean, they, if you're, you're a Christian teenager, you're not growing. You don't have a whole lot of friends who come to church to be cool because no one comes to church to be cool anymore. Mm-hmm. Not, not like when I was growing up and you showed yeah. up because your parents were doing a business thing and everyone they knew would be there. So, yeah, time, times have changed. They see the need and I even see it in little kids. I'm excited. Uh, man, God loves it when kids pray. <laughs> he listens mm-hmm. when kids pray because it comes from such a pure heart and oh, that, that just that just thrills me mm-hmm. we got to see uh, a, a little girl that we had ministered to for a long time she got to see a video of her accepting jesus and praying uh-huh. to have him in her life and it was like that is awesome and so yeah keep praying for those kids and and i'm excited about all this and you know, as we go through the, think about this list again, remember scripture says there's nothing new under the sun. We, we just kind of go through these um, times where we revisit some of those things in the past and God has to be the one who directs us. But we, today we talked about maybe some of those simple discipleship programs, bringing some of those things back into your church. Um, and, and maybe a move from the having these huge auditoriums to more multi-purpose and fellowship space that could be used and moving from those rows to those circles. And then maybe it's, it, it could be possible that we see some of these, uh, some of our churches sharing a minister in, in that old circuit writing example. The importance of neighborhoods, I think is gonna be huge in our, in our time. Um, and then a renewed interest in prayer seeking God's face. What a what an awesome thing. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good list. I bet we missed something. Please reach out to us and let us know um, what we did miss. We'd love to hear hear your thoughts on that. But I think these are some things to at least give you some things to think about in the days ahead. If we were any help to you today too, Pat, please uh, pass this on. Give us a give us a good rating on uh, on where, whatever format you listen to. We'd love to 
love to do that and connect with us in the ways you can see in our show notes. But we are so glad that you took time to listen to us today, to two old guys sharing from their experiences in, in ministry. We are glad, glad that God's doing some new things in our lives, and we're, we're, we're grateful. So anyway, we look forward to catching you on our next episode of the Enduring Churches podcast.